This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Valley, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome-times-awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, owns a dog named Ben with a green tongue, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. This is our first in-season podcast, so this, this is exciting. We're three days into the NBA season as we record this very early on a Friday morning. And so since everything changes so quickly, we're going to dive in, into our first mailbag of the season as well, since those are always fun to do, get you ready for the weekend, or hopefully you'll be able to listen to this on the weekend without it having been having been too ruined. Before we start, though, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. You can also get us wherever else you consume your podcast. That includes Spotify, but just as a barometer for us, we'd love to hear from you guys. So please take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day, search Hardwood Knocks on iTunes, rate us, uh, review us, subscribe to us if you haven't, tell your friends, family, frenemies, enemies, uh, divorced, cousinses, twice removed by divorce, anyone about this pod will appreciate it. You can also follow both of us on Twitter, so I'm going to start pimping that out. Um, at the beginning of each podcast, Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled exactly as it sounds, and you can find me at Dan Favalli, at D-A-N-F-A-V-A-L-E. Now, we get to the question that everyone wants to know the answer to. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, did you say my dog's name was Ben? I don't remember what I said. I'm sleep deprived <laughs> right now. I know All your right. son's name is Ben. I apologize if I said <laughs> I, I apologize if I said dog. That was terrible. I have, I have a son named Ben and a dog named Koji. But it was uh, Dan and I were talking about sick family members before we started podcasting, and my son Ben had a green tongue yesterday, a mysterious green tongue that I never got to the bottom to. But it, he wasn't sick, so whatever. It was kind of cool, I guess. Was it because my dog was sick and I knew that Ben had a green tongue and I just sort of just combined those into one sentence? It's, it's That is totally fair at this hour of the uh, morning. I'm glad you accept it. Please tell Ben that I, I apologize for calling him a he's, dog. He's kind of like a dog in a lot of ways, to be honest. I mean, he just eats whatever comes within his uh, range. He's he's very demanding at times. So he shares some uh, some dog-like qualities. Well, still send him my apologies. <laughs> I, I'm sure he won't mind. Um, are you ready to do this? Let's do it. I, I put out the uh, typical Hardwood Knox mailbag tweet last night. Uh, as usual, got a lot of good responses. So thanks to you guys who participated. Um, if we don't get to your questions in this episode, I apologize. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll maybe have some time to answer them on Twitter. But um, we're just we're just sort of taking a uh, shotgun approach to this episode. We're going to go back and forth and each pick random questions from the responses. Um, and I'm going to kick us off. This question from at Walk with Lyle I found really interesting um, because it's a little bit. I think there's a lot of comparisons with Devin Booker and as a jazz fan, I'm kind of sick of Devin Booker versus Donovan Mitchell. So it was nice to see something different at walk with Lyle asked us better, better duo in two years, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic or Devin Booker and Deandre. Ayton. That's a hard question. Really hard. Yeah. Ah, 
I think I would take Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. We both know, or we're both high on Jamal Murray, but I think that also says a lot about Nikola Jokic and how good he is. Still, with the way Booker has improved as a scorer, if DeAndre Ayton makes a lot of defensive improvements over the next two years, I think that Suns duo would have a chance. I'd still take, I don't want to say pretty comfortably, but but I would still take Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I think I'm with those two as well. Um, And it may surprise some people to hear that that was a little bit of a difficult question for me too. Um, I think people are surprised you didn't block the person that asked it, to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah, that that's always in play with me, especially the last few months. Um, I think Jokic, and I know I'm I'm sort of on an island on this, I think he's already a borderline top 10 player. And forecasting that for any rookie is kind of tough for me. Uh, DeAndre Ayton has been better than I thought he would be, though. He he looked really good throughout the post, or the preseason uh, his season debut was awesome. I just did like a game finder search on him yesterday, and he put up 18, 10, 6, uh, and one block and one steal in his debut. 18, 10, and 6 has only been done by rookies who played in like the 50s and 60s. Um, he had a huge, huge debut, and of course, it's just one game, but he's shown us a lot through the summer and the preseason to suggest that that he's better than I thought he would be. And then Devin Booker, um, counting stats have always been on his side. He's done stuff that very, very few players have done at his age in terms of just raw points, uh, rebounds and assists. And now I think he's starting to understand some of the nuances of the game a little bit better. Um, he, he pretty much single-handedly put the Mavericks away in that season opening game. Did you watch that one? I actually did not. It is on my league pass to watch games today, in fact. He was uh, – if if you don't have time, just watch the fourth quarter because he was absurd down the stretch. Uh, and, and I think he has that take-over-a-game ability that that true, you know, bona fide superstars have. Um, I'm not sure Murray or Jokic has that sort of take-over-the-game-as-a-scorer ability, but <laughs> – I'm I'm just so partial to Jokic's incredible playmaking, um, ridiculous touch from all over the floor, great rebounder. And then I, like you said, we're both high on Murray. Um, I think he has a chance. If if Steph or if Damian Damian Lillard is Stephen Curry light, then Jamal Murray has a chance to be like Damian Lillard light. And that paired with a guy who's efficiency wise like a top five to ten player, that's going to be really tough to catch. The question I'm going to choose comes from That's John. Long answer, by the way, I'm sorry. What? That's fine. We always love to hear your Nikola Jokic takes. <laughs> your Javal McGee is going to be the breakout player of the year takes. We can, however, do without. I, I hope you really enjoyed him last night. I was completely indifferent to Javal <laughs> McGee, like I am on most nights. Um, the next question comes from, <clears throat> excuse me, John at Hammer Time fourteen. What are the chances Tibbs makes it through the season? I saw this one last night. Um, doesn't he have a recent endorsement of his job is safe? Didn't didn't that come out somewhere? Yeah, Glenn Taylor said that to um, the Star Tribune, Sid Hartman, I believe. And that doesn't necessarily mean a ton. I mean, I guess it's better to have that endorsement than to not have it. At this point, but if uh, I guess it all depends on whether or not Jimmy Butler gets traded. Um, if he does get traded, I could see this team going down the tubes pretty fast, especially if that means more shots for Derrick Rose. I was just appalled by the fact that he took twice as many shots as Towns in the first game, and <laughs> certainly <laughs> Towns probably deserves some of the blame this maybe he's a little too passive maybe he's allowed guys to sort of seize control of the team from him but at some point somebody's got to step in and say this this is one of the most efficient uh scorer not just big men scorers but one of the most efficient scorers we've ever seen over the course of like the first two or three years of a guy's career why in the world are we marginalizing him it just that doesn't make any sense to me um so if they attempted fewer shots than gordy jang that game he was also yeah. on the bench down the stretch, I believe, against the Spurs, too, as well. And he, 
he fouled out. Oh, he did so, foul out. That's right. I forgot. Uh, a lot of it was probably foul trouble too. But even if he's only going to play 20 minutes, the, all those guys should have fewer shots than Carl Anthony Towns. Um, but if Butler gets traded, uh, things just go really south really fast. I could see him not surviving a season. I don't know if I can put like a percentage on it or something. I guess there's maybe an alternate universe too where trading Jimmy Butler gives Thibodeau more time because maybe you can frame it as, okay, now we're entering a, like a, a semi-rebuild or something. But uh, I, uh, all bets are off with the Timberwolves. I, I don't have any idea what's going on in that organization right now. I would say he does last the entire season. Just either way, trade Jimmy Butler, don't trade Jimmy Butler, win that trade, lose that trade, let the locker room implode. Uh, Tibbs ended, helped them end that playoff drought, Minnesota's playoff drought last year. Uh, he's a coach president, has, I forget how many years he has left on his deal. He's had a five-year deal, so that would give him, he's entering his third season. Anyway, uh, it just seems like, no, he doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt, but after making the playoffs, it'd be hard to really get rid of him now, unless maybe Carl Anthony Towns does something drastic. And even then, he's now under contract because he signed his extension. It just sort of feels like, even in the worst case scenario for this year, Glenn Taylor's going to be like, this is your shit show. You're going to have to try and clean it up. And then they'll reassess their options at the end of the year. I would actually be... If we talk about coaches who get canned in the middle of the year, I would actually be surprised uh, if Thibodeau was was one of them. Just again because of what happened last season, and I'm not sure what what that does at this point. Uh, you're, you might even be giving him what he wants if he trades Jimmy Butler and then you fire him. I'm not sure yeah. how how badly he wants to coach the Timberwolves in that scenario. Anyway, what yeah. change? Who are you going to pivot to mid season that's going to alter your franchise's culture? Probably no one, and we're going to assume they trade Jimmy Butler anyway, which has to improve the locker room dynamic at least a little bit. Maybe that even evens out as time goes on as well. I, I, so I, again, would just be a little bit surprised. Given everything that's happened, you can't be totally surprised, but I'd be taken aback if he didn't finish the year in Minnesota. Whether he starts next season with the Timberwolves is an entirely different matter. I wonder if there's any chance the Jimmy Butler situation winds up like the Kobe trade demand of many years ago, where it just seemed inevitable that he was going to leave, and then they got through the season and just kind of went one step at a time forward. I, I mean, I guess there's Dr. no chance. Dr. Buss is not walking through that door. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. I guess there's no chance, like even if they keep him this entire season, that he's, he resigns there. Did you read that Star Tribune Q&A with Taylor? Um, no, I didn't. Is this the one where he gave the endorsement to Thibodeau? Yeah, he basically just said, Taylor says he doesn't see a scenario in which Jimmy Butler stays with the Timberwolves. It's basically just this agreement that he has with Butler. I'm going to trade you eventually. We're going to trade you eventually, and you're going to play hard right now. I've never seen anything like it. And there's errors of basketball that predate me, obviously, but it's just, it's wild. Everything's out in the open. He did the ESPN interview after going um, back crap crazy in practice. His his teammates, he's thrown them under the bus. It's just it's just so bizarre. And now you have the owner readily admitting that not only does Butler not want to be there, but he's talked to Butler about not being there, promised to get him out so long as he tries. Kind of like so long as Andrew Wiggins tries to improve, they'll give him that max extension. That one worked out well. It's just such it's it's such a absurd situation. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I said, I I I have no idea how to predict what's going to happen next in that situation. It already feels crazier than the Kawhi stuff that we talked about every other episode last season. Um. All right, my next question comes from. Sorry, could you imagine if Kawhi did did that in Spurs practice? He hasn't talked for like. Uh, almost 30 years, and then just shows up to a Spurs, Spurs' practice and really just starts cussing everybody out and screaming and yelling. That would be like, uh, I'm sure you've seen the movie Friday Night Lights, right? Yeah. When the preacher man goes crazy at halftime of that game at the end. Do you remember that part? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Amazing scene, by the way. He's quiet the whole movie, and then he blows up and fires everybody up. Um, that would be if Kawhi ever blew up. There's, there's, it's just hard to imagine. 
I've got a question from at, uh, we've had questions from him before and I, I'm sure I butchered the, whatever your handle is supposed to say at Shumkot, S H U M E K O T. Um, I almost feel like I'm saying like a swear word in a foreign language when I read that. Who are your top five players in five years? Um, he gives some examples of where he might be, and I think he, there's some good ones. He, Giannis, Simmons, Davis, Towns, Embiid, Irving, Tatum, Mitchell, Jokic. Um, a lot of good candidates. I think this is this is kind of a hard question to answer, um, but I'll just uh, hand it off to you. Top five players in five years. Well, that's kind of mean. I don't know how to answer this, so no. let me talk about it for a minute then, and maybe you uh, can. Well, I, it's. Simmons would be on there for me. This is in no particular order right now. Giannis Attentacumbo would yep. still be there for me. I, dude, would I put Jason Tatum in there? I'm I think not, Anthony Davis is still in there. For five years, yeah, I'd give it to Anthony Davis. It, could Luca, I don't. After them, it gets really hard. Uh, Jason Tatum is going to be really good. Like, really, really good. I don't know if he's going to be top five material. And it, a lot of it depends upon what the Boston Celtics roster looks like between now and then. Could Luka Doncic be there in five years? He'd be an interesting candidate. Um, Don, think, he missed Donovan Mitchell, which I think is fair. I don't think I'd put Nikola Jokic there. Uh, Embiid, top five. No, not for me. This is a hard question. I think three locks, though, would be Giannis, Simmons, and Anthony Davis. Yeah, okay. And those are his three locks, too. And I think I can probably safely lock those in. So shout out to uh, his Twitter name is Barney Gumble. You have the same locks as us. Um, And then, yeah, I think it's kind of up in the air after that. While we were talking about our last question, I did a search of players in an age 26 or younger season. Uh, just this past season, who had the most wins over a replacement player. And no surprise, Jokic is first. One name that I don't think we've mentioned is Carl Anthony Towns was second last year. At least we haven't mentioned him in in relation to this question. We talked about him the one before. So I think Towns should probably be in that conversation. He just had his age 22 season um, last year. So Don't forget Kevin Knox. <laughs> Dan's favorite player, Kevin Knox. Um, while we're at it, let's throw uh, Mitch Robinson, Frank Nilkina in there. I'm, I'm just kind of scared. Not Chris Stops. <laughs> no. Hey, oh. that's an interesting one, actually. Um, I wonder if he comes all the way back, if he makes his way into this conversation. I, I think those three locks that we had are good. And then I would, others to consider for me would be Jokic, Towns, Mitchell, Tatum. Um, I think in, that's probably about it. In a half decade, Kawhi Leonard's only going to be 32, 33. He could be that's, a candidate. And here's an interesting question for you. LeBron James, I'm not picking him, but I'm saying next year is going to be LeBron James's age 35 season. If you had to guess, would he still be a top five player, if not a top three player, if not the best player in the game? For next season? Yes. If I had to guess right now, I'd say he's still number one. Then could we potentially throw Stephen Curry into this discussion? He's 30 years old right now. Yeah. Plays a game that could age fairly well if his ankle, if he doesn't have if, a catastrophic ankle injury. What if his three-point attempt rate just keeps going up and up and up? Right, but that's what I'm saying. His game is prided on, I mean, maybe the handles and that footwork um, in the half court gets a little slower, but his... His release is so quick. It just seems that uh, I, I, I w- a, it wouldn't shock me. If we're talking about incumbent top five players who could still be there in five years, Giannis and Davis are top five to me already, so they'd be there. And I think you have to consider Stephen Curry, have to at least consider it. And then if you have Kawhi Leonard top five, which I think he is coming into the season, I probably would have ranked him a little bit lower because of the injury and not being sure of where he'd be at, but those would be the two incumbent top five players to really look at as still making the cut. I think those are both good calls. The only caution I would have with Kawhi is if there was a lot of talk about his health being like a degenerative issue. Yeah. This summer. And if that's true, 
um, then it would certainly be harder for him to maintain that status. But that was a really good point about uh, Curry. Well done. Here, okay, more likely to be in the top five five years from now, Kawhi Leonard or Stephen Curry? I would say Curry. Me because, too. Like, Isn't that weird? Because Kawhi Leonard's only 27 right now and Curry's yeah, 30. So um, I think Curry's game, like you said, is going to age really, really well. And I think you framed that well by saying that LeBron, as he enters his age 35 season, is probably still top one to three. So there's some precedent. And <laughs> using LeBron as a precedent for anything is probably kind of stupid because he's he's truly one of a kind. But um, I do think there's something to this this idea that Curry could play really, really well for a while. Would you put Kevin Durant in there as well? Same age as Curry, basically. Um, I love how I've turned this into my own mailbag to you over the past three minutes. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I would probably put him in the conversation, but I'm not as certain that he's like a top three lock as other people are right now. I think he's probably a top five lock, probably a top six or seven lock. Um, and I and I also wonder if his game ages as, as well as Curry's does. So I don't know. Belongs in there, but I'd still put Kawhi Leonard or Stephen Curry as more likely candidates than him. Yeah. Here's I don't even want to ask this question because it's tough, but I feel like you gave me a tough one, so I'm going to throw throw another tough one at you. Uh, it comes from Jared Hedrick at JRD. MH22. What's the best front court slash backcourt in the NBA? He also has what's the best backup front court and backcourt in the NBA, but the way benches are run right now, that's a that's such an unfair question. So who's your best which team has your best front court? Which team has your best backcourt? I actually saw this question last night and thought I'm gonna pass because that one's intense, but I'm glad you brought it up. Um when I was watching the Pelicans dismantle the Rockets, I I had some I started wondering, did they have the best or one of the best front courts in the NBA? And uh I'm gonna modify his question a little bit. I'm not gonna give like a different starting and backup front court and a different starting and backup uh backcourt. Maybe I'll just do like the best front court rotation. Um <laughs> And I think the Pelicans with Anthony Davis, Nikola Mirotic, and Julius Randle might be in this conversation. I'm scanning over the NBA teams right now and seeing if anybody else like really jumps off the page to me. The Nuggets with Millsap and Jokic, but I don't think their backups are as good. If we're, uh, if we're talking about rotations, you would have to put the Raptors in there, right? Kawhi, OG, Serge, Pascal Siakam, yeah. Jonas Valanciunas, Norman that's, Powell, even if you consider him a small forward. That's a yeah, that's a good call. Uh Utah with Favors, Gobert. Um Joe Ingles. Wow. Come on. Come on, Bells. <laughs> yeah, I guess if we're if we're extending front court down to small forward, which we sh- probably should. Um I always do. I don't know. I know some people do not. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in more of like a bigs, wings, guards thing now um that's true i talk about wings guard slash back courts and then i call like bigs the front line like the four or five spots i have no i'm doing i'm sure i'm doing it wrong but in the positionless era it's just centers and power forwards then yeah it would be it's going to be tough to beat what you have in new orleans if you're looking at the entire rotation yeah I'm, i'm scanning the teams and i don't know if i see one better than that um, obviously, that has a lot to do with Anthony Davis, but Julius Randle was ridiculous down the stretch for the Lakers last year. And I think all of, uh, or at least most of like NBA Twitter and people who write about basketball a lot were collectively scratching their heads over Nikola Mirotic when he was on the Bulls. It just, the way they used him never seemed to make much sense. And he was really unleashed with the Pelicans last year. And I think we we got a glimpse of how dominant that front court could be. Is they just they destroyed the Rockets <laughs> in that opening game. They had, and and maybe this is a uh, this is a different point, but the Rockets' defense could be in some serious trouble. The the Pelicans' front court is going to face stiffer tests than that as they move forward. But there's a ton of talent um, in that group. I guess do Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond 
get some consideration. I don't know. Yeah, if you're talking just strictly fours and fives, they have to. I also think you you have to throw the Warriors in there, right? I know we're not treating Durant as a four, but to have Draymond Green, eventually Draymond DeMarcus was, Cousins, Jordan yeah. Bell. I like Kevon Looney. It's just amazing that we can put the Warriors in every single conversation. Uh, it's the Pelicans, though. If we're, again, if we're talking about the entire rotation, I mean, even the starting front court, though, Miritich isn't going to play like he did every night against the the Rockets, but the the Davis Miritich duo just works. Yep, and I wouldn't be surprised if, he, like you said, he's not going to score thirty every night. But I wouldn't be surprised if he averages high teens and seven or eight rebounds, shoots high thirty percent from three, um, and like you said, they just mix really, really well. Backcourt rotations. Um, well, obviously, I think the Warriors we have to talk about again there with Curry and Thompson. Um, their backups aren't aren't super inspiring yeah, right Winston now. Yeah, is kind of blah a little bit at the moment. Yeah, and I don't really know how I feel about Quinn Cook. I think he's okay, but he, he doesn't, like, wow me as a backup point guard. Um, but just the fact that they have Tur- Curry and Thompson certainly puts them the Rockets the, have to be there. Their backups are Eric Gordon's one of the backups, which is just a fantastic. That's true. Stringer to have. Yeah, that might that 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 right there might make them a little bit uh, at least deeper than the Warriors' backcourt rotation. Um, I think Beal and Wall are probably out of this conversation at this point, right? I mean, they're still obviously really good, but I don't think they're they're no longer contenders for best backcourt in the league. No, they are. They are deeper though uh, than a lot of teams. There, Thomas Sedaransky, Austin Rivers, who was pretty good last year. Let's hope uh, Scott Brooks plays Thomas Sadaransky now that he has Austin Rivers. It seemed like he was always looking for an excuse not to play Sadaransky, who was really good. Um, Can't forget about Boston in that conversation either. They're deep, uh, regardless of your feelings on how good Kyrie Irving is. Uh, you have him, Rozier, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. That one's maybe the deepest um, of any that we've brought up so far. I just had another one in my head, and then it it uh, eluded me. Oh, Lillard and McCollum. I'm. I don't think McCollum's as good as most people think he is, but I. I'm, He's not. At the same time, I think Lillard might be better than a lot of people think he is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to provide affirmations for you. <laughs> And I like uh, I like Seth Curry too. And and did Nick Stauskas is a superstar now as well. I was going to say Nick Stauskas was ridiculous last night. Um, there was a close up of him at one point that had that caught him yelling, "You can't hold me," which I just thought was incredible. Uh, <laughs> <if> he, <laughs> I didn't see that. Um, man, if he's going to average like close to double figures and shoot forty percent from three, then they're they're an interesting candidate as well. I guess if I had to pick one. Um, I'm just going to go with the Warriors because they have Stephen Curry and that that makes up a massive <laughs> um, gap on, on all these other teams. Your concern about Sadoransky, by the way, feels like it's going to be valid. He played um, fewer minutes than Jason Smith in their win over the Heat. Yeah. That could be a function of Dwight Howard just not being healthy and then Jan Mahimi didn't play a bunch either. But I that fear didn't even register with me because I've – always just figured Sedaransky is more of a primary ball handler. And when you don't have a clear backup point guard, Rivers isn't really that guy. Uh, apparently, though, when you have almost LeBron in Jeff Green and Austin Rivers, you, you need to get those guys a lot of minutes. Sedaransky was really good when he filled in for John Wall last season. And the Wizards still went out and signed uh, Ty Lawson, of all people, to take his spot in the rotation for the playoffs. Which just, that blew my mind. I, I, I could not wrap my head around that. It seems like uh, they're just looking for someone that can guarantee them steady minutes without both Beal and Wall on the court as the primary ball handler. I don't, that's not. He did that. He did. The Wizards weren't necessarily good during that time. There were points, for most of the season, they weren't great in those minutes. Um, by the end of the year, they were outscored by uh, 2.8 points per 100 possessions when Sadoransky played without Waller Beal, and their offensive rating was only 102.2. Uh, but just uh, you look at what a lot of those lineups consisted of. It was him with Meeks, Ubre, Mike Scott, Jan Mahinmi, um, or you would have Jason Smith 
in the middle. It wasn't like they gave him... Uh, the Wizards have never done the best job of staggering Beal and Wall. And if you give him one or Beal or Wall, it, he still kind of acts like a safety net there. Uh, and the minutes he played with Otto Porter when uh, both Beal and Wall were off the court last year, I remember distinctly being a positive. And I just looked it up, and it is. They were the Wizards, small sample size, but they were a plus 8.8 points per 100 possessions, offensive rating of 109.5 when Porter and Sadoransky played without Beal and Wall last year. And I'd like to get to more of that. I don't need to see Austin Rivers a ton. He was good last year, but Sadoransky just intrigues me more as a setup guy. Yeah. Last year he averaged uh, basically 12 points, 6.5 assists, close to 5.5 rebounds per 75 possessions, um, had a true shooting percentage over 60, a three-point percentage approaching 50, 46.5. Um, he was just really, really solid for them. And I, I think, I think it'll be a mistake if they continue to try to find other people to take the role that he already is good at. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. Did you see, by the way, I, oh, you did because I sent it to you. Dwayne Wade looked like he was just trash talking wall or scolding wall at the end of that wizards heat game on Thursday night. That was, yeah, that was funny. That was hysterical. That was hysterical. Is there any chance the Wizards miss the playoffs? I would say there is a chance, uh, most likely because there's also a chance that they just implode and kind of have to blow it up. They're not trading John Wall. That extension hasn't even kicked in yet, and that is he's a top. Just, what do you want to call him? Twenty five player at this point on a bottom five contract or something. Yeah, I was gonna say. I just don't think they. Even if they were dying to get rid of him, I don't think any team would take that contract. Yeah, so it's, I mean, and even his game, I, we don't get into gamer breakdowns, but their opening night loss to the Heat, even with John Wall, he's he looks fantastic this season uh, when, looking at his, when looking at his vitals. He seems super fast, doesn't seem like uh, the knee injuries hampering him that hampered him last season, but it's just the last play of the game for the Wizards, really, you're up by one and he settles for a pull-up three after being one of five on the night and I get that you ran the shot clock down but it is that that's not the look that you want especially when you're John Wall and you're as fast as John Wall I'd rather see you attack try and draw a foul or something or collapse the defense and kick it out but it's I'm not even trying to crap on John Wall but the Wizards have blow-up potential to me yeah and I have no idea what the cap will be in 2022-23 but he's going to be making $47 million, That is, which is insane. Well, it's even if you look at what they're going to owe their big three, but let me put those in the air quotes that people can't see. <laughs> uh, when his extension just kicks in next year, like that's just absurd. They're going to be paying Porter, Beal, and Wall a total of $92.5 million between them. You add in the final year, of Jan Mahimi's contract, and that's basically the salary cap. A hundred and seven, uh, it's a hundred and eight million dollars. So, in the salary cap, projected to be a hundred and nine. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Basketball references uh, payroll page for them already has them at one hundred and sixteen million for twenty nineteen twenty, and that's assuming that Dwight Howard opts in. I think. Yes, I have them with Kelly Oubre's and Thomas Sedaransky's cap hold. I have my sheets pulled up. I have them projected to be around $28 million over the cap right now. And that's assuming they... That's like starting the summer, right? Right. And that's assuming they get like the 15th pick in the draft. It's based off a lot of assumptions, but they have a very clear path to shooting past $25 million over the cap if they keep Sadoransky and Ubre. Will they have... Like, what exceptions will they have to work with? They will have the taxpayer's mid-level exception, and I believe they should have their... They're biannual. So And then it's gonna be all minimum guys after that. What a what a tough <laughs> what a tough situation they've put themselves in. Holy cow. Um that was that was good that that question spun into a wizard's uh tangent. I think you asked that one too, right? The yes, it is your turn to do okay. a question. Um Michael Weimer at W-E-I-M-T-I-M-E 32. 
Give me something to look forward to with the Grizzlies. Jaron Jackson Jr. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I thought that was kind of an obvious one. Um, if you want to do deep cuts, I'm still a Dylan Brooks fan. But How about, uh, did you see how many minutes he played in their opener? I'm going to pull up this box score. Under again. seven? What was it, six? Five or six, right? Yeah. Um, he's in. That's an interesting uh, coach. I mean, we talked about will Thibodeau survive the season. Um, I don't know how long they signed J.B. Bickerstaff for. But Shelvin, so I've got the box score pull up now. Shelvin Mack played 30 minutes in this game that the the Grizzlies lost by 28 to the Pacers. Dylan Brooks played six. <laughs> Shelvin Mack. Why, why are you playing Shelvin Mack 30 minutes? First of all, Shelvin Mack is an OG. Uh, the, <laughs> I think the other thing that kind of factors in here is they seem very committed to letting Marshawn Brooks play as well. Yeah, he played 22 minutes. And so uh, when we- you put in Mike Conley... Uh, it just doesn't leave a lot of minutes to go around. But looking at guards specifically, I don't agree with it. But there should definitely be some wing minutes for Dylan Brooks. Uh, wing minutes, without question. But if you, if we're viewing him as a two-three, it gets really complicated. I'm not defending this at all. If you're going to play Shelvin Mack that much, but if you have um, Garrett Temple, Chandler Parsons, Marshawn Brooks, Kyle Anderson. It Wayne Selden as well, who barely played in that first game. It's going to be difficult to carve out too many minutes for Dylan Brooks unless you're committed to development. And I don't think the Grizzlies are there just yet. They'll have to bottom out of the Western Conference playoff picture uh, to really do that. And I would say that JB Bickerstaff, Bickerstaff is doing exactly what the front office wants him to right now, and that's to play the veterans, more established players with some Jarrett Jackson Jr. sprinkled in because they have a mandate to make the playoffs after how they operated over the offseason. And Baker Staff signed a three-year deal, by the way. It'd be for him to yeah, get five. Yeah. That's not – it wouldn't be unheard of for someone to get canned with that much time left on their contract, but I don't know why the Grizzlies would because if they play poorly, they just pivot into a rebuild and he might be their guy there anyway. Yeah, that's true. Um Dave Yeager in Sacramento, if you want to talk about coaches on the hot seat. <laughs> he was another one I thought of, too, actually, when we were talking about Thibodeau. I, I just don't – whether your whether your aim is to get in the playoffs right now, which it probably shouldn't be for the Grizzlies, or it's to um, develop, I think Dylan Brooks makes more sense than Garrett Temple, Marshawn Brooks, Shelvin Mack. Um, I think Kyle Anderson makes more sense than Jamichael Green, Chandler Parsons. Um, but back to his question, the, the reason for excitement is Jaron Jackson Jr. You have a potential cornerstone type of a player right there. Um, he only got 25 minutes in the opener and he was two of six from the field, but he filled up the box, uh, score 10 points, five rebounds, three steals, one block, one assist in just 25 minutes. Um, I think towards the end of the season, or maybe even in a couple months, when they realize that that it's just not worth chasing the number seven or eight seed and getting smashed by the Warriors or Rockets in the first round, um, he probably inches up towards thirty, maybe even a little bit over thirty minutes, and uh, he he has the potential to be really, really good. I'm with you, and it's tough to. It's kind of tough to. I don't want to say there are no silver linings to this team beyond that. But if you're not going to play a Dylan Brooks, uh, if, if you're not going to contend for a playoff spot, I'm not sure how much a great performance or performances from uh, Mike Conley and Marcus all are going to mean to you. And they, uh, Mike Conley did not shoot the ball. Well, in the season debut, neither did Marcus all. I think they were combined five of 22. Uh, Gasol did hit two, three pointers. And so did Mike Conley as well. If they play well though, they're still, that opportunity there's still a chance that the Grizzlies don't contend for the playoffs in the Western Conference and so it's a really tough situation to be in it's not like they have a lot of tradable contracts either um I don't know if Gasol I don't you could move Gasol I don't know what you're going to get for him I'd be interested to see whether teams if Mike Cunley's playing well a month or two down the line if they'd be willing to trade for him he has two years on his deal left after this one 
the price point is obscene, but it's really not that long term of a deal now all of a sudden. And so if you're in a smaller market and you want to win and you don't typically attract some of the more marquee guys in free agency, maybe it's something you consider if you're not giving up a bunch of assets. At that point, though, we have to have the conversation. Are the Grizzlies going to get to a point where they're willing to accept salary fodder for Gasol and or Conley? And it's just it's a it's going to be a wild ride in Memphis this season, I would guess. We both don't have them in the playoffs. They're one of those teams, though, where just because they're out of the postseason picture, to me, doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to blow things up as they should. Yeah, which is like uh, that's that's been a common thing for a few teams over the last few few years. That you should blow it up, but you're not going to. Um. Oh, and just from a make culpa for before for the Wizards, if I have any salary cap nerds out there like me, they're only going to have the biannual if they're under the apron next year. Because I was looking to see if they'd use their biannual um, last year, which they did. So they should have it this coming summer, but only if they're below the luxury tax apron, which if they keep this core together and Dwight Howard comes back and Oubre comes back, even if Sadaranti doesn't come back, Oubre might cost them an arm and a leg. They they might not even have the biannual exception to use. They've, They've put themselves in a real, real tough spot. Here's a question that I don't know if we're equipped to answer. It comes from Alpha GFX. It's at its Alpha GFX. Do you think Markel Fultz will have more point-based fantasy value than Rondo? Who are some people you consider sleepers' most improved potentials this year? Well, those are two separate questions. So let's start with the, will Markel Fultz have more fantasy value than Ray John Rondo this year? Um... I'm going to say, well, gosh, I guess, (laughs) like you said, we might not be super well equipped to answer this. I play fantasy basketball. I'm not an expert. Um, I have not played it. I think going on a half decade now, I just didn't enjoy it anymore. (laughs) I tried to get you into one too. And I'm uh, stood strong to my morals. That was one of the, that was one of the biggest uh, rejections I've ever faced in my life. But, (laughs) (laughs) um, I guess this question has a lot to do with what Luke Walton does with the point guard rotation. Obviously, Rondo started last night, which I'm still a little bit confused on. I guess, you know, he looked okay. Um, but that's another team I think should be prioritizing young guys over veterans. Uh, that's that's maybe a different question. Um, if, he's, if Rondo's splitting minutes with uh ball then i guess Fultz has a chance but if rondo's playing like 25 to 30 minutes i think he would he would probably comfortably get more fantasy value than Fultz. um there's just I'm, there's also when we're looking at the entire picture rondo is probably going to grab more rebounds than Fultz. his yeah. field goal percentage is probably going to be higher even if Fultz doesn't prove completely incapable as a jump shooter because a lot more of his looks are going to come at the rim and his his standstill shooting for Rondo, by the way, from beyond the arc, has not been terrible over the last three or four no, years. Pretty good. Yeah. I would I would probably pick Rondo this year. Just uh, you look at even if he's going to split time with Lonzo Ball, and you have to give up touches to LeBron James. Fultz is going to be doing the same thing to Ben Simmons and and Joel Embiid. Dario Saric looks like he's ready for a bigger offensive role to me. By the way, but you could—he hasn't been shooting the ball exceptionally well this year. But it just—you could just tell when he's handling it. Uh, the Sixers like to have JJ Redick run some pick and rolls as well, too, or not even pick and rolls, but he's going to orchestrate a bunch of half-court sets on the ball. It's—you have TJ McConnell to factor in as well. Marco Fultz would really have to become a shooting star, I think, to noticeably outpace Rondo in the fantasy department. Speaking as someone who hasn't played fantasy basketball <laughs> in a half decade. I would also say that I think the only one situation where I might take Fultz over Rondo is is if I have a bunch of categories already covered and I need some uh, like random blocks or something. And I th- think Fultz might be able to get you some blocks from the guard position um, better than than other guards can if you're in a categories league, which I'm guessing most fantasy basketball leagues are. We've uh, we've done most improved player. Yeah, if you want to go uh, for the people who ask about Western Conference seeds and awards, we we humbly refer you to our <laughs> predictions podcast that was published just before the season started. Nothing for us. Would you have 
I'm going to turn it around and ask this question. The second part of it is, would you change any of those big picture predictions that you made based off of the first three nights of NBA basketball? Um, Probably not yet. And although I was a little bit worried about the Rockets before that performance, um, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more worried about them than I was a week ago. Ooh, our they, eventual overreactions podcast is going to be lit. I can feel <laughs> it already. Didn't, I mean, their defense looked terrible in that game. Um, and they have plenty of time to work it out. But maybe we didn't. It was talked about all summer, so this might sound crazy, but maybe we didn't put enough stock into the fact that they swapped out two of their best defenders for Carmelo Anthony and Michael Carter-Williams. And then they lost essentially their defensive coordinator like on the eve of training camp. All those things together um, are pretty scary. And then another thing, when I was watching that game and glancing down at the box score every once in a while, after after Harden, Paul, and Capella, um, it's kind of a weird collection of players after that this season. So there, I'm not going to change anything right now. I still think they probably finished second in the West, but I, I have increased my uh, worry meter on them. The I'm not, I, I got to the point where I was defending them because I thought people were too low on them. I think they're worse than last year. With that Pelicans game, their offense looked out of sorts too, and that's just not going to stick. Uh, the Rockets in that the what stood out to me they were eight uh, excuse me six of twenty two on wide open three pointers twenty seven point three percent that's not gonna happen on a nightly basis. They were a lot of their shots were hitting in front of the rim too. It looked like they were tired, which is weird to say at the beginning of the year. It it just could have been a bad game. Something that. Uh, Matt Moore of Action Network pointed this out. If that was a January game, we wouldn't have thought anything of it. I'm going to take. I'm going to be an advocate for the Rockets as of now. Houston fans are are most welcome. I'm not sure I'm the person you want defending your team, but here we are. The only thing that need advocates right now. Yeah, the only the only thing I I or two things that I thought about wanting to change, but I'm going to resist the impulse was putting the Hornets in the playoffs. Um, I tweeted out my final predictions. I might have put the Pistons in there on the podcast, but I talked myself in the Hornets. Uh, there's still a possibility that they get there because Kemba's amazing and his supporting cast can't play like poo every night. Um, and I, I wanted to give, I don't know if I still would have picked him as my, one of my two candidates, but I would want to give Pascal Siakam more love. Siakam more love for most improved player. He's just, and I said this on Twitter, he had the type of game against the Cavaliers that I was I was going to overreact to and Perhaps I am, but he's just, the way he's moving on defense, the way he's moving with the ball in his hands, if he can shoot threes at even a close to average clip, he's just, he's a scary player. It's like, he's just a super scary player. And and so I might have wanted to give him, he hit his only three-point attempt against Cleveland, by the way. But if he's, if he, I, I don't. I just can't believe how comfortable from where he started as a rookie to now, and he was always a better ball handler and passer than people expected, but it's just, it's been about two years and he's just come so far already. And I'm just wondering now, what is his actual ceiling? If I told you, uh, if I set the over under on Pascal Siakam making 0.5 all-star teams, would you, would you take the under still, or would you go with the over? It's basically asking you whether you think he'll make an all-star team. Mm. For his career, not this season. Excuse me. Yeah, you obviously can't make more than one All Star team in a year. Man, that's tough. Um, Although Kobe did, I'm sure his fans. Sure <laughs> I'm inclined to say under, but uh, I could probably be talked out of that. And he was one that I talked about as a most improved player candidate too. So I, I think uh, I would not be shocked if he made an All Star team. I'll put it that way. I think I'm going to take the over, and it's just banking on. Not only his development, but I could see situations in the future where he'll be having more of an opportunity to rebound. Uh, some of the lineups that, even when they're playing small, uh, they might cater to Kawhi Leonard rebounding when he's at the four more than they will uh, to Siakam. But anyway, those are those. We've turned this into like our own rogue mailbag where we're asking yes. each other questions. We've gone rogue several times. I believe um, it's your turn, though. You want to do some rapid fire ones? Yes, I think our listeners would appreciate that. Okay. Um, cause I think we're closing in on an hour. I'm going to, 
I've got four or five rapid fire ones here keyed up for you. This is from at handyman23. Um, most triple doubles this year, which team? The Lakers have LeBron, Lonzo, and Rondo. Just putting that out there. Yes, but apparently the Pelicans have Anthony Davis. And he, <laughs> he's going to pass a bunch this year, and they have Alfred Payton. I'm going with OKC still. Just because I think Westbrook will probably get at least 35. Yeah, they're they're probably the safe bet. I don't have like a. I, could Philly belong in there a little bit just I, because of Ben Simmons? About, yeah, he could get a bunch. He's already got one. More triple doubles this season than three point makes. More career triple doubles than career three point yeah, makes. Yeah, I was going to say. Actually. Excuse me. That, that might be true by the end of his career. That's a Stazat's tweet. Ben Simmons, more yeah. career triple doubles than career three pointers made. That's an excellent uh, one. Um, all right, you have a pick on that one? I have to go with OKC just because it's the. I don't play stock in having the dual triple double threats because I, I'm a big believer that pecking orders get established, and I don't think you can look at the Lakers and say, you know, Rondo's going to have seven triple doubles and LeBron's going to have nine and Lonzo's going to have a let. Like I just don't think you yeah. can do that. I'm going to go with OKC because it's a safe pick. The Lakers or the, the Philly would be my number two team. Who does LeBron get this offseason slash deadline, and is that going to be enough? That's at Beaston25 underscore eight. Wouldn't the better question be, will the Lakers get anybody this summer? Just <laughs> with – I know a yeah. lot can happen between now and July, and we can't believe all the reports that come out, but there have been an alarming number of r- rumors that state players don't necessarily want to go to the Lakers. Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard have definitely been involved in those – I don't think – I know there was the report from Yahoo Sports' Chris Haynes that the Lakers are going to make a push for Kevin Durant. If he leaves Golden State, I believe he's going to go to a team where Knicks. he can do it alone, go it alone. It's really uncomfortable how many people think Kevin Durant are going to the Knicks. I'm not used <laughs> to them being the favorites for anything other than one of the worst-run franchises uh, in all of professional sports. You saw his brother's Instagram comment, right? That was clearly a deliberate troll, though, right? <laughs> I was actually thinking when I saw that, I was like, if I was the the sibling of an NBA superstar, I might just put out stuff that could be misinterpreted all the time, just for the heck of it. Definitely. It probably helps with your brand, too. Yeah. Um, if So I'm going to answer the question this way, and it's I'm going to do the Andrew, Andrew Bailey cop-out. <laughs> the player they're most likely to trade for this season, if they were to make a huge splash, would be Damian Lillard to me. I like rumor, yeah. The player that they're most likely to sign in free agency. I have, I don't even know. And that's not because I don't think they're going to get anyone. I could see them getting a Middleton or I don't know if they, someone's going to give Middleton close to the max and maybe the Lakers don't want to do that. Do they settle for a Kemba? Uh, LeBron really likes Eric Bledsoe. If they're going to strike out on all these big name guys. I think that scenario is more likely than them getting um, one of the three or four super big wigs uh, in Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, and Jimmy Butler. And if I had to pick a player who was most likely to go to the Lakers out of those four, I would pick Jimmy Butler. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they're in a situation where I don't think they're the favorite for any of those big names that are going to be available this summer. The Damian Leathered rumors are really interesting to me though. Um and if if they pull that off somehow, that's pretty close to the blueprint they had with LeBron and Kyrie Irving in Cleveland. I think uh I think Damian Leathered is slightly underrated, which is kind of a weird thing to say for a guy who just made first team all NBA, but I'm I'm not sure the average NBA fan realizes um just how good he is. I I don't think anyone's close to Stephen Curry's uh, gravitational pull as an offensive player, um, but Lillard In sure sometimes, yeah. Um, so they would be super, super interesting. His defense if, improved a bunch last year too. Too just yep. the I I mean I can't you can't really trust him to do much off the ball, but just looking at him sticking with players, trying to get over some screens, contesting more shots inside the arc last year. 
those were just a few things I was impressed by with him. And I don't know if you call him an even defender, but if you're going to get, you know, a lot of the things that people don't realize about Stephen Curry is that he's just so much better in other, in areas other than um, shooting, scoring, and passing. Stephen Curry is a good screen setter. Stephen Curry tries on defense and he has the size to do that. Uh, If Damian Lillard is going to give you some nice effort at the defensive end where he's going to get into a guy and not get killed on screens, his offensive game combined with that makes him a borderline top 10 player. I had him rated, I might have picked him as 10th when Adam Frommel and I did Bleacher Report's top 100. He ended up 11th um, because we made concessions, but he's a fringe top 10 player. And it's like you said, I don't think most people realize that he's, I, I would right now say he's one of the 12 best players in basketball and wouldn't hesitate to say that. I think he wound it up 11 in that um, median preseason player ranks thing. Did you just say wounded? Wounded? Did I? That's yeah, perfect. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, he wounded. It's okay. I called your son a dog before, so you can make <laughs> he, whatever grammatical errors you want. He wound up 11th, and his lowest uh, ESPN RPM projection had him 26th. That was the lowest um, that he wound up. So that's a fairly big variance. But his median was 11, um, which made him the 11th overall player, based on a bunch of preseason rankings and projections. Take that for what you want. Um all right, two more rapid-fire ones. Did you pick uh, who they're most likely to sign in free agency? You did not. I'm calling you out. Um, I already made the Andrew Bailey cop-out, so you can't. <laughs> I don't think there's – it seems very unlikely that Clay Thompson would leave Golden State, but he's another one that would be really interesting to me. Um, he's from L.A. His dad played there. He would be like the perfect second fiddle. Um, he has been the perfect second fiddle for a while, at least uh, scoring wise. Um, I'll say Clay Thompson just to be crazy because I don't think that's going to happen. Um, at most valuable pod, what's the worst trend in the NBA right now? Uh, I have an answer for this one if you want me to go first. Yes, please go full get off my lawn right now. Um. I'm a little worried about the ISO ball trend. This uh, just get a switch until you find a mismatch and then dance with your guy at the three point line for 10 seconds and score. And it's mostly the Rockets right now. Uh, that was a huge chunk of their offense with isolations with Harden and Chris Paul last year. And it makes sense why teams do it. If you have a great offensive player, um, why not try to find a mismatch and then exploit it? It's it's really hard to defend a guy like James Harden or Chris Paul one on one, but I just uh, aesthetically, it's it's not the most pleasing style of basketball. I would much rather see the ball flying around like it does with Denver or Utah or Golden State pre Kevin Durant um, or the 2014 Spurs. I just I just love teams that move the ball and move players around a ton. And I don't I don't know how we combat the growing trend of ISO ball. Um, maybe it's players like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic who force teams to rethink that because they're just, they're just that good in the post that you can't go one-on-one with them. Maybe they'll swing the pendulum back a little bit, but I'm not the biggest fan of ISO ball. More than fair. That's, you know, and that, you know, post-ups kind of fall in that category too. I don't need to see any more of those either. No, that's not a trend, obviously. It's actually that, yeah, that that's going away. Well, I don't know, if, if you're the Thunder and they're just going to post up Steven Adams and Patrick Patterson a bunch, apparently, <laughs> their opening game against the Warriors, there was like uh, there three of like 10 or the first 12 possessions, it seemed like they posted up Patrick Patterson. And I was like, what is happening here? The ISO ball one's interesting. I don't know that I would have, um, my, I would have one as in NBA Twitter trend or even players. Could we stop getting mad? at trade speculation or trade rumors. Like that's just how the game works now. And I'm not even talking about the game of basketball. I'm talking about the game of the media industry, like the national outlets, the national writers or anyone who has inside sources is going to try and get those scoops to get clicks so that they can write about it because you need clicks for your website to survive. I understand it can maybe get exhausted hearing about Anthony Davis trade rumors all the time. 
stop getting mad about it. Like it's he's still on your team if you're a Pelicans fan. So is Giannis if you're a Bucks fan. So is Kemba Walker if you're a Hornets fan. So is Damian Lillard if you're a Blazers fan. This is just how the game works, and I I, I think it's really ridiculous that people get upset by it. I understand fan bases don't want it to feel that every player is just a Boston Celtics player in training. Yeah, but I, at the same time, though, this is just how the the industry works now. And if you want to read a bunch into players' social media posts, like Kevin Durant using an Instagram comment, uh, and you want to make jokes about other players as you do, you need to be able to just both dish it out and take it as a fan base. And I'm not singling out any one of these fan bases individually, but collectively there seems to be this trend on NBA Twitter where they like to mock people for regurgitating or coming up with a different version of the same old rumor. It's just the game now. Let's get over it. Either don't comment on it, um, or you can provide your analysis on it if it's going to go against it, and, and let's just keep going. There's no reason to get actually upset about it. I agree with that. Uh, the internet, unfortunately, has given a lot of people a uh, reason to be de- defensive about stuff that they just don't need to be defensive about. Um, all right, last one. This is from at real underscore Yorg, J-O-R-G. Is there any reason to watch before the playoffs? Yes. Like, let's not do this. Yeah, it was, I absolutely, it, yeah. <laughs> and even from a... I. There are people better before the playoffs, right? Because it's there's less inevitability there because you're able to watch more teams, and there are just even for casual fans, there's a draw beyond who's going to win the title. Yes. You look at the development of all these young players who are marquee draws already: Luka Doncic, Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I'm going to throw Shea Gilgis Alexander in there because I'm in love with him, but. <laughs> It's, there's just so many different things to watch. And that to me though, and this I will say, is the feeling of inevitability that the Warriors have created when it comes to the championship does seem to have invited this basketball culture where we're always looking ahead to the next summer. And every season is this year-long free agent recruitment pitch journey where we're already hearing about these 2019 free agency cases. But that's part of it. Kawhi Leonard's on a new team in Toronto. How's he going to fit? Is he going to stay or leave? What's going to happen? You can't tell me the Jimmy Butler drama isn't good for entertainment value. I feel terrible for Wolves fans who do not deserve this. The franchise itself absolutely does. But the fans do not. It's There's just so much to watch. Kevin Durant, is this his last season in Golden State? The awards races, uh, there are s- none of them. I, you wouldn't look at any of the awards races right now and say they're guaranteed to go to one player. And the Warriors, in a way, have done that because they're so good, have so many great players that Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant cancel each other out. So when you take two of the five best players in the game out of the MVP race or make it more difficult for them to win, it just opens the door for all these other characters like Anthony Davis winning from a Pelicans team that might not be uh, a top-two seed in the Western Conference. To me, uh, even... If, if we're not even talking from a basketball nerd perspective, I just think there's too much to watch and enjoy about the regular season on a night-to-night basis to not appreciate it. It's a cliche to say, but it's not always, it's not just about the destination. It's about how you get there. And the NBA never disappoints uh, in, in the value from the start of the regular season through the beginning of the playoffs. I agree with all that. Um, you gave him several reasons to watch before the playoffs. And the the thing that I jotted down real quickly last night was, uh, and you used this word, was inevitability. Um, The inevitability didn't truly kick in last season until the playoffs. That's that's when it did it. Houston made it to game seven. That's true. And yeah, there was that the inevitability was certainly staved off for a little bit um, by the Rockets. And I think people have a good argument that they could have won that series at Chris Paul not gotten hurt. Um, so maybe it's not inevitable. And I, I agree with, like I said, I agree with everything that you laid out there. Um, there's, there's tons of cool stuff to follow along with and watch during the course of the regular season. But ultimately my answer is, uh, do you enjoy watching basketball? And if, if that's something that you like to do, then the regular season is where it's at. There's tons of games every single night. 
Especially the um, trade deadline too. Yeah, the trade de- and the trade deadline itself is fun to follow. Um, it's it's all super interesting to me. But like you, I mean, you mentioned the word basketball nerd, and I think that's what both of us are, and and a lot of casual fans are not, and so. Maybe they're not tuning in until the playoffs, and it feels inevitable at that point. But there's there is so much going on um, over the course of the regular season that's just, uh, at least to me, very 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 fun to keep up with. Um, I think that wraps us up. Unless there's any other questions that you're just dying to answer right now. Is Marvin Bagley going to average even 15 minutes per game? <laughs> was that an actual question, or are you throwing that one out? No, there? I'm just making. It was uh, he played 12 <laughs> minutes in the opening. Uh, the Kings opener. It, I, that's still weird to me, but Dave Yeager then came out and basically said, well, we have a lot of front court guys. I don't expect that to last. And there's, I, I think Kings Twitter thinks that there's going to be this push and pull against Yeager and the front office, and they're going to know better than I would. But I don't know if you're Yeager, how you look at this roster and think that you need to try and compete for anything other than development or He's more losses. Be- He'll be an interesting coach to pay attention to all season right. long. If he's not going to play the guy that they passed on Luka Doncic for at least 25 yeah. minutes a game. If you want to bring him along slowly in the beginning, not too much, put too much pressure on him. I kind of understand that. But if he actually is going to cater to the veterans or if he's actually not playing Bagley a ton of minutes in part because they have, you know, Kufos and, and Zebo and some of these other guys, that's going to become an issue in, in Sacramento pretty quickly. There could be a lot of issues in Sacramento, and what a great place to uh, end this episode. Um, <laughs> Buddy Heald. Shout out Buddy Heald. I do like Buddy Heald, and he uh, he was tough against the Jazz in that first night. Um, if you want to gripe about any of these piping hot takes that we gave you today, you can, like Dan said, find us on Twitter. Dan's at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Uh, the sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Thanks again to all of you guys who sent in questions. Apologies if we didn't get to your question. Um, don't let that discourage you from participation because uh, we love doing these mailbags and we will be back at it soon, I'm sure. Um, if you haven't already rated and reviewed the podcast, make sure you do that. If you have, have a family member or a friend, subscribe, rate, and review. Um, continue to help us out. We really, really appreciate all the support you've already given us. And until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Oudry. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.